Well, good evening, good evening. Thank you for being back with us. Let's stand together, grab a hymn book now. We're going to sing, sing, sing. Brother Ken, come lead us this evening. All right. Hymn number 230 in your blue book. Hymn number 230, Heavenly Sunlight. We'll sing all three verses, page number 230. Brother Ken, love that old hymn. Let me give you a couple of quick prayer requests uh, that have all happened since we met this morning. Pray for uh, Brother Carl. He is in Martinsville, Martinsville, right over at Martinsville, having some kidney problems. Uh, they've got they've been uh, uh, keeping him overnight. Pray for Carl, if you would. Uh, Bethany was in the ER today, so please remember Bethany Craig and uh, really lift up Chelsea, if you would, folks. Chelsea was here this morning, wasn't feeling well, and uh, she is uh, in Martinsville, but waiting to get shipped to Duke again. Uh, problems with her kidneys continued issue with the one kidney that she's got so please lift her up pray for brother eddie gunter as well uh he is off on his mission trip so please pray for eddie uh if you would uh, and let's remember marcia's mother as well marcia uh rourke's mother uh she's having some significant physical issues so let's pray together lord we love you tonight Thankful to be in your house, Lord. I'm going to pause a moment and ask your special touch on each of these, our folks, this evening. Lord, uh, it takes us by surprise, but we rejoice in the fact that nothing takes you by surprise. And so, Lord, I pray for a divine touch upon Brother Carl. Lord, I pray for Chelsea, for uh, Bethany, for others, uh, Lord, that have been sick. I pray that you touch them. Pray a special blessing upon Brother Eddie. Lord, as he ministers down in those storm-ravaged regions of our southern part of our country, touch him. Bless our services tonight. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Brother Ken, let's have a song of fellowship. Amen. Trust and obey. We'll be singing uh, page number 325. First verse and chorus, have a time of fellowship. Page number 325.
quickly, a reminder, next Sunday morning uh, during Sunday school, we'll have our birthday celebration for uh, Pastor Ken. 9.30 we'll start. We normally start at 9.45, but we'll start at 9.30 uh, next Sunday morning. And I think you got the menu lined up for most everybody. All right, very good. Uh, but if you, ha- if you can help out and you haven't seen Mr. Nay, please do so right after services tonight. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to come have a good time, celebrate, and enjoy ourselves 9.30 uh, next Sunday morning. Still no baby yet for Whitley. Uh, she's still in labor, uh, but they did, uh, they did, I'm, we're getting all personal now, but Michael said we could share it with you. Uh, they did give her an epidural right before church, uh, so at least she's feeling a little bit better, but uh, uh, pray for them that she'll have a smooth delivery. That's been two days and all night that that girl's been in labor, so just... Even so, Lord Jesus, let that baby come quickly. Amen. Amen. All right, ushers, make your way down. Brother Gerald, you come get ready to sing for us tonight. You be obedient unto the Lord this evening. If you haven't worshipped the Lord with his tithes and your offerings, and Josh, you take us to the throne of grace, if you would. Pray for the offering and our preaching time to come. Josh, pray for us, pal. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight, Lord. We want to once again thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight, God. Lord, I pray that you'll take our hearts and minds, Lord, and remove any distraction that would keep us from uh, focusing on what Brother Greg has for us tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with this offering. I pray that it would be what you'd have it to be in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, 
every time I get to come up here uh, and especially for this brother Greg wrote this song and <coughs> I'm sorry it reminds me of uh, my father he never had a lot we were, we were all sharecroppers and uh, but we had each other, Amen. and we didn't know we were poor till somebody told us. You know, it, we we were all we're, everybody around us were the same. You know, we were everybody was farmers, and we all took care of each other. If somebody needed something, you didn't go and ask them what they need. You just took it to them. You know what you had. And uh, but uh, I really appreciate Brother Greg in this song, and I really appreciate what my dad. And my, my mother. Thank you. That's all right, buddy. Like you, I've been drugged to church all my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my grandfather was a Westland Methodist pastor. Amen. He started the little church that, uh, that we went to. My aunt, back here, Ruth, and she was a piano player. And, oh, Sunday, your, your <laughs> <laughs> and Sunday school teacher, and she really, she she helped me as much as, as anything as far as being, you know, with with the Lord and being saved. She is as much responsible for it as anybody. And I really want to uh, thank you. I really Amen, brother. Yeah. That's awesome, buddy. That's your heart, man. Thank you, sir. Just made my day. Turn with me, if you would, please, tonight, folks, to the book of Amos, if you would, please. Book of Amos tonight. Book of Amos this evening, if you would. We're going to begin reading in chapter number 7 in the book of Amos. I mentioned to you this morning that I keep copious notes of what I preach and the location, sermon topics, and that kind of thing um, uh, in an effort to not replicate or duplicate too often what we preach on. Uh, I have at times taken an outline and changed the title of it and said, God gave me a brand new message. No, I'm just kidding. I had a preacher friend tell me to do that. But um, the, the, the Sunday school, several years ago, we went through several obscure passages of Scripture, and we looked at a few passages out, out of Amos. But as far as I can tell from my notes, I've never preached out of this book. I've never talked much out of this book except for one Sunday school lesson downstairs. And during my personal devotional time a few weeks ago, I came across some passages and uh, just began to pray about them and want to give you a few simple thoughts tonight that I hope will be a blessing to you. Whenever we talk about uh, some of the minor prophets, I think it's important that I give you a little bit of historical context. Uh, the history of these prophets matter. Uh, the minor and major prophets are coded as such or referred to as such, not because of their importance, but because of their length. Oftentimes, folks think that Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, those ma major prophets, are uh, listed in uh, 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 historical order. That's not the case, nor when you get to the uh, minor prophets, uh, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, all that through there. Those are not listed historically in order either. So it's important that you get the historical context of what's happening and to whom these minor prophets are actually speaking. And then we'll look a little bit at the application. So let me start this evening with a little bit of uh, just uh, kind of background 101. The greatest king that, David, that, that Israel produced uh, and the king that still today uh, Israel looks to as the greatest king in their history. Uh, we see uh, the symbolism uh, throughout the nation of Israel and that is of course King David. We talk about the star of David, David's people, David's tribe, all of this referencing the nation of Israel. David still is referred to uh, as the king 
king, uh, if you will, that started. To, now they weren't. He wasn't the first king by any means, but started the the royal empire, if you will, as we come to understand it throughout Israel's history. David is still the king that the Israelites look up to as the penultimate king. When David died, I think most of you know this, his son took over, one of his sons took over the leadership of the kingdom, and that was the son known as Solomon. Solomon, David's son, took over the kingship, if you will, of the nation of Israel. And while David was a military man, Solomon was a kingdom maker. During the time of Solomon's reign, Israel rose in international significance. They were the wealthiest kingdom of that generation. Solomon would be the one that would build the incredible tabernacle, gold-plated, worth today in the billion with the B dollars uh, in modern American price, a structure unsurpassed in that day and age of that time. And it was all because Solomon had such a respect and a reverence for God that had been instilled in him by his father David. Solomon was also a man of grave mistakes, just like his father David was. When I talk about these kings, I don't want you to think they were men of perfection and by no means were they. In fact, you know about David's great sin, his sin with Bathsheba and the consequences that would bring. Solomon is often referred to as one of the wisest, not the wisest man that ever lived, but he had nearly 700 wives and concubines. That don't sound smart to me. Somebody say amen right there. He was a woman of a, a man, rather, who uh, had uh, a lot of unusual tastes. And because he would uh, marry so many women and have so many concubines, he brought into the nation of Israel the worship of idolatry. Solomon, in his early days, uh, did incredible things for the nation of Israel. But by the time that Solomon died, uh, the kingdom was in peril. The kingdom was uh, destined uh, for all kinds of uh, destruction. And in fact, it would be after the death of Solomon. Solomon, that the kingdom of Israel would split apart. There would become the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes. The northern ten tribes were referred to as the nation of Israel. The southern two tribes were referred to as the nation of Judah. So again, Solomon dies, the nation splits apart. Ten northern tribes, Israel, two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and that southern two tribes were called the nation of Judah. Interestingly, uh, Jerusalem remained in the southern tribe, if you will, or the southern part, the southern kingdom, Judah. So now Israel, the northern kingdom, has to set up its own place of worship, its own structure, because it's a divided system now. The Israelites in the north are not going to travel down to the south anymore to, to worship God in Jerusalem. So who are the two kings? Well, uh, again, I'm giving you a little bit of historical background. When you look at how the kingdom split, it takes a little bit of time. But you've got a son of Solomon, and then you've got an official in Solomon's empire who takes the two respective kingdoms, if you will. You've got Rehoboam, who takes the southern kingdom. You've got Jeroboam, who takes the northern kingdom. So again, refresh. The northern kingdom is called what? Israel. The northern kingdom is called what? Israel. It's comprised of how many tribes? Ten. The southern kingdom is called what? Judah. It's comprised of how many tribes? Two. Ten to the north, two to the south. Israel, Judah. Easy to remember, it's alphabetical. I-J. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Now you look at the two kings who would take over after Solomon, and they are alphabetical as well. At the top, you've got what kingdom? Israel. Alphabetically, what comes first? Jeroboam or Rehoboam? Jeroboam. So the top kingdom, Israel, Jeroboam's the king. The southern kingdom, uh, uh, Judah, Rehoboam's the king. And the two kingdoms become perpetually at odds with one another. Over and over and over, you read about the kings that would come after Jeroboam and after Rehoboam. And they would consistently become attacking of each other. You can read about these through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and every so often, the southern kingdom of Israel would have a king that does right in God's eyes. But the 17 kings of the north, nobody is ever said to do right in God's eyes. There is no kingdom among the 17 that reigned in the north to which God said this king did right in God's eyes. It was one disaster after another. So when you look at the 
minor prophets, especially if you've got a reference Bible, it will typically give you an introduction that will tell you to which kingdom this prophet is preaching. Are you with me? Whether it's the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. If you were to look at Amos, you would find at the beginning that Amos is actually born and lived in Judah, but is preaching in the northern kingdom of Israel. That's an anomaly. Rarely happened. Usually wherever that preacher or that prophet was born would be where they would preach. But Amos is an exception. Born in the south, reared in the southern kingdom, but would preach to the northern kingdom of the nation of Israel. Now in each of these times that God would raise up a prophet, it usually went something like this. God would bring judgment. The Israelites would repent, get right with God. They would become complacent after some time. And God would raise up a prophet who would say, you better fix this or you're going to face judgment. That's exactly what's happening with Amos. Let me set the stage for you and then we'll dive in. Literally, what is taking place is that the Israelites have united themselves at this juncture in history with the Phoenicians. Uh, an idolatrous nation that is as wicked as wicked can be. Because of this uh, a yoking, Israel is experiencing, the northern kingdom, listen now, is experiencing incredible financial prosperity. Let me say that again. Because they have linked up with unbelievers and an idolatrous nation, they are experiencing one of the greatest periods of financial uh, uh, extremism and financial prosperity since the days of Solomon. And so they are excited, Israel is. They're anticipating great return to Solomon's day, if you will. And God is about to raise up Amos to teach them very clearly that financial prosperity absent God ain't a good thing. That financial prosperity absent the work of God is not what God intended for his people. Before the hammer falls on the nation of Israel, God is going to raise up a prophet and of all the minor prophets, I think Amos stands out in ways that I hope you'll see tonight as just somebody that would never be used of God. A man who literally was minding his own business, engaged in his family's work, and God said to him, I've got something I need you to say. So with that in mind, can we begin reading in the book of Amos, chapter number 7. We'll start in verse number 10. Notice what scripture says. And Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Let me pause a moment and tell you this is not the Jeroboam the first that we referenced a moment ago, but is in actuality Jeroboam the second who would come some couple of kings later. So we're now a few generations past the divine split, if you will. But there is another king on the throne called Jeroboam II, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos said... Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Do you understand what Israel is what, what Amos is prophesying? He's preaching about God's allowing him to see the 70-year captivity that awaits Israel if they don't get this thing straightened out. Most of you know the story. Israel doesn't get this thing straightened out. And guess how long they spend in captivity, church? Seventy years. The ten northern tribes would be the first to be taken over. They would, in fact, disappear from all of human history. Let me say that again. They're referred to as the ten disappeared tribes of Israel. When the Israelites are allowed to come back over 
After the 70 years of dispersion, it's only two, Judah and Benjamin, that are able to reclaim that land. The 10 northern tribes are, for all practical purposes, wiped out of human history. Continue reading. Verse 12. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. In other words, they're telling him to go back to your house. Go back to where you're from. This is Israel. We don't want a preacher from Judah preaching to us. You go back to where you're from. Also Amaziah, uh, verse, verse 13, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel. It is the king's court. Keep reading verse 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. The Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city, thy sons and thy daughters shall fight by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. So let me set the stage for you, and we'll break this apart this evening. Understand that Amos is minding his own business in his southern kingdom life. Again, the southern kingdom is called what church? Judah. Amos, three things we'll look at. Number one, Amos is a simple man. Amos is minding his own business. Literally, Scripture tells us in verse number 14 that his origins could not be more simple. He says, I'm not a preacher. I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't from a family of prophets. I'm not a son of a prophet. In fact, he makes it very clear in verse number 14 that his background could not be more simple. He is literally a, a, a farmer, if you will, a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He has nothing to do with Israel. Everybody with me? Always when we look at minor prophets, I see eyes glass over. <laughs> Everybody with me? He's minding his business in the southern kingdom of Judah, doing what he believed was his life's work, farming and a herdsman. And I want you to notice his words that he says because his, his, his oratory is beautiful here. Look at verse number 14. I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And please look at verse 15. And the Lord took me. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. The Lord took me. That literally means that he grabbed a hole. Made sure there's no baby in there first before I grab this. That literally means that as he's minding his business, following the flock, he had an experience that he can only describe as being grabbed by the Lord. Taken a hold of. Very quickly, understanding that what is pro pro produced this in, in, in Amos's mind is he's just been called to the carpet by the preacher and the king Jeroboam. If you were to read the first ch six chapters, you'd get a more clear picture of some of the things that are happening. He's been called in front of the king, said, don't preach anymore. Take your serious stuff back to your hometown. We don't need none of that here. We don't need a seer. We don't need a preacher. And Amos literally says, stop right there. Because you didn't bring me here. God brought me here. His message could not be more simple. I, I, I don't want to be unkind, but I'm going to be blunt. He says, I didn't come here because I wanted to. I'm not here because y'all my favorite people. 
in all truthfulness, they were Amos's enemies. Amos probably would have much preferred to stay and preach to his own people, but God said, you go to Israel, the northern kingdom. One of the fascinating things about the book of Jonah is just how much Jonah hated the people to whom he preached. We always talk about Jonah and the great fish that swallowed him, being buried three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. But you understand that when he ends up in Nineveh, he preaches a 33-word message. The entire town repents, and Jonah wants to die because he hates those people. Hates them. I cannot help but think if there's just a little bit of that with Amos, it's not articulated as such. But when he's told to stop preaching... Amos says, you all didn't bring me here, and you all cannot shut me up. So here's my pause for a moment. Amos was a simple man. A man that had no desire to preach. A man who was not a quote-unquote prophet or a son of a prophet that would be assumed to go into the preaching business. Amos was a simple man, listen, but when God got a hold of him, He said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament says this, Whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Can I pause a moment and tell you what that means? If you're a a cashier at the local grocery store, be the best cashier at that place. If you're a factory worker at the plant up the road, be the best factory worker that plant has. If you're somebody that waits tables or somebody that washes dishes, be the best. Wash those dishes as if you knew the Lord was getting ready to eat on them in the next meal. Whatever you do, whether you're a teacher, a police officer, a, 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 whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. I will be Rather unkind at this statement, but listen to me. One of the great tragedies is this day and age in which Christians are sometimes uh, the least beneficial employees. Amen. When we name the name of Christ, when we tell people that we are Christians, it should not be just a Sunday experience, but it should be such that when we're out in our public work world, we are an example everywhere we are. And that's why God got a hold to Amos. God literally grabs him and says, I have a job for you. Well, let's keep reading. Go back to your text with me, if you will. Not only... Do I want you to see he was a simple man, but he was also a sent man. We referenced this already, but in verse 15, he says, The Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Go prophesy unto my people Israel. I challenge you tonight when you get home or sometime this week to look at the words of Amos. Of all the minor prophets, Amos is the easiest to follow. Some of the language and some of the minor prophets can be a little bit confusing. Sometimes they'll use uh, some poetic language. Uh, Sometimes they'll use some illustrations that can be difficult to follow if you're not looking at it with some clarity. Amos is not like that. He is as clear and easy to understand as any of the prophets. Here's what he says. I'm paraphrasing, but he says it like this. Y'all better get right or you're going to hate it. Y'all better get this thing checked up or it ain't going to be good for you. You better do what God says or you going to wish you had. Go read it. I will never forget the first paper that I submitted at William and Mary. You'll understand why I'm giving you this in just a second. Stay with me. I'm going on a rabbit trail, but there's a point. It's Monday, my first day of classes. At William and Mary. The first class that I walked into is Comparative Literature by Dr. James Ledbetter. Not only was he the professor, but he also was the author of the book that we were using. We get the book. He gives us our first assignment. I had come from a high school where we spent the entire year learning how to do a research paper. 
and this is a Monday morning class at 9 a.m., and he says your first research paper, 10 to 12 pages, will be due Friday. And then he says your second paper, 10 to 15 pages, is due the next Friday. So I spent that week... That first week, I'm typing, I'm writing, I put down everything I knew, and I had two pages. Ten to twelve pages this thing had to be. I had two. So I did what I was taught to do. I fluffed it out. I made that language so fancy. If I, if I meant to say it was pretty, I said it was real, 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 and very, very, very pretty. I mean, the language was so verbose. I still had the same two pages. I just turned it into ten. I got my paper back the following Monday. This man didn't play. We turned him in Friday, got him back Monday. And I had a great big D plus at the top. I'd never gotten a D in my life. I ain't got too many C's in my life. And the first thing I thought to myself was, what was he thinking? And he had written at the top, you need to learn to kiss. (laughs) Whoops. It was K period, I period, S period, S period. And as I'm flipping through the paper... He gives me little diagrams of manure. I'm not kidding. I had little poop piles on my paper with squiggly marks coming off the top and a shovel. Every other paragraph, the poop piles get bigger. I still have the paper. And I got to the end of it, and he writes a very kind paragraph, but he makes a point that I'll never forget. He said, when you are writing, remember, you're not writing for intellectual giraffes. Write for intellectual sheep. The KISS method is keep it simple, stupid. I learned a valuable lesson, folks, that Amos is employing here. Here's what I want you to get. The flowery language, the impressive rhetoric means nothing if it goes over everybody's head. And so in this moment, if you compare Amos with the words of Obadiah, if you compare Amos with the words of Malachi, if you compare it with Zechariah, even some of the other minor prophets, Amos is as simple as he can be. And he says, fix it or suffer the consequences. You know, sometimes, folks, I think we miss the mark in church. We try to impress with our flowery language and our oratory and our rhetoric. And we're missing the very simple reality that we're not speaking to giraffes. We're speaking to sheep. One of my favorite quotes is by D.L. Moody. He says, it's time to take the spiritual cookies off the top shelf and put them on the shelves where everybody can grab them. Amos does just that. He's a sent man. If you go and notice what he says in verse number 15, he says, The Lord said unto me two things, two verbs. Go, prophesy. Go, prophesy. You know what the word go means? It means go, get out of here, take action now. The word prophesy, we understand it to mean preach. But if I could use in our vernacular, what God tells Amos to do is go and tell the words that God gave him. Go tell the words that God gave him. Go and speak. You're not a great speaker. Go and teach. You're not a great teacher. I'll give you the words. Say it in the best way that you can. And you be you. So I think in my mind, here's Amos. Here's where I'm going. A country backwoods farmer who steps up into the king's palace and says, Hey, got a word from heaven. 
Y'all better get yourselves in order or God's fixing to whoop your hind end. Have a good day. And Jeroboam the second and Amaziah the priest rise up in righteous indignation and say to Amos, shut your mouth. You pipe down. You go back to where you're from. We don't want you here. And Amos says, y'all didn't bring me here. I'm going to tell you what God said. You better get it fixed or your sons and your daughters are going to suffer it and this nation will never be the same again. You ever wondered why somebody like that doesn't cower in fear when the king says, get out of here? Ever wonder how Elijah could have stood up to Ahab? Ever wondered how Amos can stand up to Jeroboam II? Here's my little two cents. Those kings didn't call them, so those kings can't shut them up. He was a simple man. He was a sent man. Finally tonight, Amos was a steadfast man man he took a stand when it needed to he stood strong when he needed to he stood for some things and he stood against some things here's why God was so angry church turn with me if you would back just a few pages to chapter number two purposefully save this for the end I want you to understand why God was so angry against the nation of Israel. It wasn't just because they had reached financial prosperity. There's no sin, shame, or sorrow in financial prosperity. Here's why. Look with me, if you would, please, at verse number 6. Chapter 2, verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes that pan after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in into the same maid to profane my holy name and they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge my very, my very altar. They drunk the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. I want to summarize those four into two things that I think are as real today as they were in Amos's day. Let me pause a moment and say, you know this, but it bears repeating. God has blessed this country. I, I, I get a little frustrated sometimes because we have become a nation that is addicted to outrage. Where everybody's outraged over something. And I'm reminded even the poorest of the poorest among us is wealthier than 98% of the rest of the world. Are you with me? And I will say also, even in our community, we talk about poverty. But when you listen to some of the things that our forefathers had to endure, we don't know what poverty is. Amen. I heard you, C.W. Amen. I heard C.W. That's exactly right. Amen. Here's what I want you to get, folks. God looked at the nation of Israel and said, In your quest for prosperity, you forgot God. No sin, shame, or sorrow in being financially secure. In fact, I believe God wants his people financially secure. There's scriptural evidence for that. There is no sin, shame, or sorrow in having financial means. But when we have to lie, cheat, and steal to get it, that's what Israel was doing. God says, I'll have no part of that. And then God says, you in your quest for financial security, in your quest for financial prosperity, you have profaned the things of God. I mean, if you go read the verses we just read, The sexual immorality that's being discussed. Hey, look at me. We're there, church. We're there. And so God says to Israel through Amos, if you don't get this straightened out, I will judge this nation. And you know what I've noticed in the last 20 years or so? Preachers don't preach that anymore. 
Preachers have quit talking about the judgment of God for sin. We've quit preaching about thus saith the Lord. So let me close tonight by saying what I think Amos probably said. God's upset. Has blessed this country. And we've turned our backs upon him. Can I say this tonight simply? Another dollar is never a reason to sacrifice God. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for your time tonight. Such a simple, simple message of Amos. Such a simple declaration, yet one that is still so important. We'll not sing tonight, Brother Ken. We'll just have a verse or two with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Mr. Name is Lisa. You all play a simple tune for us tonight. I'm going to have an altar prayer dismissal for us this evening. And God has spoken to you about anything at all. This morning, services tonight, I want to encourage you to step out. and We'll pray together this evening. Father, I love you tonight. And I am so thankful for church doors that are open Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Lord, I'm so thankful for a congregation that comes out wanting to hear preaching from the Word of God. Lord, I'm reading through the book of Amos a few weeks ago and almost took my breath away as I realized just how close we are to what was being described in this book. Lord, help us to be the church. Help me to be the preacher. Help us to lovingly, but with authority, remind us, thus saith the Word of God. Lord, help us as your family to not compromise the principles of God's Word in this modern era. Lord, we can preach lovingly, we can teach lovingly, but at the same time, we can take biblical principles and stands when necessary. Lord, thank you for these folks. Lord, as we part tonight, I pray that you bless them for their faithfulness. Keep them safe. Bring us back Wednesday night. We pause again and ask your blessing upon those in the hospital today. Lord, we're praying again for a safe delivery for Michael and Whitley's baby. Lord, there'd be no problems, no complications. And Lord, we'd celebrate a new life that you've brought into this world. We love you tonight. That's not a surprise. But what's amazing is that you love us. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed this evening. Thank you for being here tonight, church.